Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk, with you as always. And yeah, so much for that quiet trade deadline. More than 20 trades between Chris Tapps, Porzingis getting moved in the end of the trade deadline. Time to break it all down. We got a Dan Feldman from NBC Sports here to do it. But, but just a quick reminder, if you can go into applepodcast.com slash PBT or wherever you get your podcast, Google Play, just rate us, give us a review, let us know what you're thinking, leave a comment. We want to hear from you and uh, improve the podcast and give you what you guys want to hear. And with that, I think what you want to hear is some trade talk. So let, let's get right to it. And as promised to break it all down, Dan Feldman from NBC Sports. How's it going today, Dan? Good, Hi. how are you? Good, I mean, nice, quiet day. I mean, I was just saying that, it was like, I had really heard so much about leading up to this, oh, it's going to be a quiet trade deadline. It's really, there's more sellers than buyers. There's not going to be, it was nuts. It was the, I mean, not just really the deadline day, but the the, the run-up week was just kind of wild. Well, I, I was going to ask whether you were going to admit I was right, but it sounds like you are. Before, yes. Yep. Earlier in the week, we were talking about what's going to be more interesting, the the All-Star draft or the trades on, on Thursday, and I said, by far, it's going to be the trades. You said the All-Star draft, and now I think you've changed your tune, right? I have, although I will say the All-Star draft ended up being more entertaining than I thought, just because... Giannis and LeBron had fun with it, and they, you know, made the trade, and the the Anthony Davis jokes were spectacular. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun, but these trades were just yeah, yeah, huge yeah. for the whole league. Huge for the whole league. Let's let's run through them. Obviously, it's weirdly the the biggest one is the one that doesn't get done. Uh, Anthony Davis remains a Pelican. I, I don't know how much time we need to spend on this. We've kind of everybody's talked this one sort of to death. Basically, he is going to play now for the Pelicans through the rest of the season. Does that part surprise you? No. I just I couldn't see how the league would allow it. And I, yeah. I had a, a, a column you know, ready to go in my head of if he was going to get shut down, of how this feeds into a tanking epidemic and is a huge problem. Anthony Davis is a draw. The NBA is not a regional sport. I get why Pelicans fans might not care so much to see him. But if you watch the Pelicans still on League Pass, you know, they still, I don't know if they have any national TV games left, but at minimum they're on League Pass. Every game is a national game. And he is a draw. He is the best center in the NBA. He's a generational talent. You can't sit him when healthy for months. That is such a terrible thing for the product. I figured there'd be some way the league would force the, the Pelicans to play him, and it looks like that's what happened. Exactly. He is definitely in. Um, I also don't think it's a huge, huge surprise that this. You know, we I've been reporting since the start of this. My sources in New Orleans said they, they were going to be patient from the start. They never really... I don't want to say they didn't plan to trade him. They were, You were just going to have to blow them away. What they really wanted was to take their time, get a lot of teams involved this summer, see where the draft shakes out, and then and then go from there. Yeah, um, and then I, I think one other element of him playing of New Orleans' approach is the Pelicans keep saying they want somebody with all-NBA potential. Like That's kind of yeah. the, the word they put out of the specific thing they're looking for in a trade. You know who has all-NBA potential for the Pelicans? Anthony Davis. Now, I don't think he's going to change his mind. I don't expect that at all. But there's a non-zero chance that he changes his mind and wants to stay in New Orleans long-term. But that can really only happen if you're playing him the rest of the season. No matter how small that bet is, the upside is so high, I think it's worth playing him, even if he gets hurt. How bad is he going to get hurt with his trade value craters? He's going to remain a very prime trade prospect no matter what. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, And I don't think the Laker pick goes anywhere. Now you get into... All the rest of that, you know, 
Does Boston put Jason Tatum in? Does Kyle, if Kyrie Irving leaves, does Boston have to pull kind of Tatum off the table and rethink what they're doing? There's just a lot of questions. It's good. It makes for great drama and now a drama that's going to pull out into the summer. The one other thing that kind of just becomes weirdly interesting, the Clippers made a really nice haul. Like, what if the Clippers threw in a pick, a, a, a deal that looked something like, I don't know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Lou Williams, so you don't suck right now, that Miami pick that's really valuable, uh, maybe Montrezl Harrell. Like, you threw together, like, there's other teams that might jump into this with kind of interesting packages, and I don't know that that's what the Pelicans want, but I know that they want more bidders. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll open up. The Clippers are a little weird to me because they seemed like they could have been more involved now. They didn't yeah. have this hang-up like the Celtics did. They had these assets. Um, yes, getting getting him first, getting Anthony Davis first, would have impacted their cap space. If they're really going shooting for the moon, you try and spend that cap space on free agents and then piece together free uh, players already on your roster, aggregate them in a trade for Anthony Davis, uh, but it's easier to get the free agents once you already have Anthony Davis. So there's some upside to doing it now, too. I, I was a little surprised the Clippers didn't sound more involved. Maybe they were just quietly. Yeah, exactly. It'll be interesting to see. Um, beyond Anthony Davis, I think the big storyline is the arms race in the Eastern Conference. I mean, you've got Boston stayed, I mean, Boston got what they wanted. Anthony Davis is on the market, but they were 9-1. and one. They've been playing really well lately in their last 10. They've looked really good. But now you've got Starts with Philadelphia going out and getting Tobias Harris, and they've made a couple moves since then to try to put some depth on that roster behind them. You've got Milwaukee responding, going out and getting Nikola Mirotic, which I think is a look, that's about as perfect a fit as there can be. And he helped the Pelicans so much last year, and now he's just you know in the playoff runs now. Now he's in Milwaukee, and then Toronto responds by going out and getting Marc Gasol. Which of these teams do you think helped themselves the most? Hmm. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, if we're adding the 76ers, counting them with their move for Tobias Harris, yes. uh, if we're talking just for the rest of the season, I think it's the 76ers. Uh, Tobias Harris is a big upgrade over Wilson Chandler as that, that big forward. I think he has enough ability to blend in. Now, you're not going to get the full Tobias Harris part of what he does handling the ball. Uh, you'll only see that as the 76ers stagger him with, and keep him away from from Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, which to Philadelphia's credit, uh, they do. They do stagger their lineups well. But when you have their main lineup in there, you're not getting the full Tobias Harris, but I think it'll help a lot. And he should be the, the biggest help for the rest of the season because Philadelphia paid by far the largest long-term cost. Yeah, exactly. Also, they, I think, had the far... I don't want to say the farthest to go, but I think they were a step behind Boston, Toronto, and Milwaukee up to this point. And once... With this move, they're not behind them anymore. I, like, I don't know who comes out of there. I've got questions about uh, Philadelphia's depth. I've also got questions just about how that team blends together. You know, look, honestly, there's been minutes where I'm watching Jimmy Butler and I'm thinking, is he fully engaged? Like, he does the little things still and he makes plays, but there's other times I think he's just kind of going through the motions and I'm, is he fully invested? Are guys willing to sacrifice? I, I'm not as soul. Like, I've got questions, but they're in the mix now. Like, they are right there with everybody else. You know, when Jimmy Butler first got to Minnesota, he didn't really assert himself. He took a step back, tried to find his way along slowly, and then figured out what that team needed. Now, what that team needed in Jimmy Butler's mind, and I don't think he was totally incorrect on this, 
was the full Jimmy Butler experience. Him taking over in the locker room, him taking over on the court, him putting that team on his back and having everybody else figure it out behind him. I don't think that's what the 76ers need, but to me this looks like the same early stages of him in Minnesota. Him just trying to, when in doubt, defer, uh, take a step back, watch, assess, figure out where he's needed. Now, maybe it's him being disengaged, but because we just saw a similar playbook in Minnesota, I don't think it's that. I think it's him legitimately trying to figure out how to make that work. By the way, if Butler leaves, Harris becomes nice Butler insurance, right? I mean, like, you can sign Tobias Harris and have an all-star level player already in-house. And a guy who kind of, look, I can tell you this after just seeing him in Los Angeles and getting to talk to him a little He's not really looking to be moving a lot anymore. He'd actually like some stability. He's, you know, this is a couple of trades now. He's been, he's what, four, tra- four trades he's been in in his career. He would actually like some stability. Well, between Harris and Jimmy Butler and vice versa, you know, either both of them will be unrestricted free agents. Either one or even both of them could leave. And this gives the 76ers a little bit of negotiating power of, hey, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you left, whichever of the two we happen to be negotiating with at this moment. Uh, if you leave, if you're not willing to take our offer, we'll just go sign the other one, and maybe you can leverage both of them against each other a little bit to keep them both. For sure, the goal is to keep them both, uh, but maybe you can do it at a more manageable cost, maybe not quite the full max. It's going to be a high salary no matter what, but maybe not quite the full max because now you have both of them. Yeah, and I, I mean, there are some long-term questions too because remember, you know, you're going to, in theory, you want to keep them all. You're going to max this guy, these, come close to maxing these guys out. Ben Simmons is doing a couple years. You know, it's nice to own a hedge fund and have to decide how much you want to pay these guys and can you afford the tax. But this does become a really expensive team down the line. I guess the question we'll find out quickly is: is it worth it? But it looks like it's going to be worth it on paper. Um, how much? I, I go ahead. I, I don't. I'm not as convinced of that. I mean, they paid a big price. You, yes. Tobias Harris is months from free agency. There is this risk he could leave. You know, we'll have to see how he fits. Uh, but they gave up multiple first-round picks, including that very valuable, very. unprotected heat pick. I, I think Landry Shamit's getting overlooked. He is a solid piece playing pretty well uh, for a rotation player. He's only a rookie. That doesn't usually happen. Uh, they gave up a lot. And so they are really, to make this pay off, they are going to need to keep Tobias Harris. And while they have him, uh, make a very deep run or two in the playoffs. Yeah, That's the, a high bar. Yeah. By the way, out here in Los Angeles, I just got to say, I'm going to a couple Clipper games as soon as, you know, once they get back from the, the Lakers and Clippers are both on the Grammy road trip where the Grammys kicked them out for an extended period. They're, not, they're both not back till after the All-Star break. And that said, I, I like the idea of a Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Landry Shamit backcourt. Like, I want to see what that looks like. I hope, hopefully Doc wants to see what that looks, looks like. I mean, yeah, Lou Williams is going to got to get his run and get you some buckets, but you know, you're not trying. I've got to say this for the Clippers: with this move, they are clearly not trying to hold on to that eight seed, and so play the young guys a bunch. So, so let's let's talk about that eight seed in the West. Yes, I am. I am drawn to that, and I I am not ruling out the Clippers by any means. Uh, I think maybe the most overlooked move or aspect of a move of the entire deadline is the Clippers dumping Avery Bradley, who has quietly been destructive for them. He was. Not good in Detroit. He was. He hasn't been good for the Clippers yet. He gets a lot of minutes because of his reputation. He gets a decent-sized role, and simply shutting him, I think, could go a long way. And then you get Garrett Temple, you get Jamichael Green, who will be yep. helpful pieces. And, yeah, losing Tobias Harris hurts, but the Clippers have a head start for that eighth seed. I, I am not ruling them out by any stretch. They have Lou Williams. 
Uh, they they get rid of Gortat, which doesn't hurt them that much for anybody who's again who's watched them a lot in person. Um, the other thing they get at some point Danilo Gallinari back. Danilo Gallinari, however, I'm I'm sure I'm butchering the Italian pretty bad there. Um, but you get him back, that guy was just getting buckets for them. He spaces the floor. He does a lot of things well for them. I, I don't think you can count them out either. But it is interesting. The Kings go all in with Harrison Barnes, which is. That was a short-term move, right? That was a, man, I want to make the playoffs. We haven't been to the playoffs in a dozen years. I want to go move. Because long-term, you can start to question that one. Yeah, I mean, I think from the Kings' perspective, and I didn't really like that move for Sacramento. Loved it for Dallas. I think from the Kings' perspective, they've been shunned by free agents so long. They've had trouble just getting meetings when they've actually gotten guys that have had to way overpay to the point it's not worth it. They might think, yeah, Harrison Barnes paying him $20-some million next season, that's better than what we've done anyway. I'm not sure that's true. I, I think the Kings' reputation might be starting to change with how well they've played, how fun they've been, a young, energetic roster. Uh, I think free agents will be drawn to that. Uh, so I think this is them responding too much to their prior failures and kicking it into a new failure. But on the right side, it should make them better this year, although that's another one yeah. where I'm not 100% convinced that the consensus has it right. Uh, Mon Schumpert had been doing good things for that team. Yes. He had been playing hard, playing well, providing a lot of passion, setting a great tone. And I'm not sure Harrison Barnes, uh, even though he's more talented than Mon Schumpert, I think, is ready to quite step into that role and do all of that. And I don't know how the younger players... Uh, react to the chemistry change. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious if we see Harrison Barnes' efficiency pick up because his role shrinks. If, if you know, because you've got De'Aaron Fox creating a lot of the shots, and obviously Doncic was doing that there. But if you're asking him to just get out and transition and make some plays, I, I think that that's something he can do. We'll see. We'll, we'll see if he, if he can kind of improve his efficiency through that role. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he will. To me, the question is, Whenever you make a trade like this and disrupt what appeared to be very good chemistry in Sacramento, now maybe I'm wrong, sometimes there's things going on uh, within a team dynamic that don't always make it to the public, but you watch that team, they seem to really like each other, play hard for each other, like every indication was their chemistry was great, so when you make an in-season trade to disrupt that, uh, maybe there's enough talent of an upgrade to warrant that risk, I just don't think Harrison Barnes is enough of a talent upgrade to warrant that risk, and especially... At the at the salary Barnes is going to make. Yeah, and the third team in that. Well, I'm going to say there's three teams in the mix for the last seed because can I just be honest with you? I know there's Minnesota fans out there saying, "Well, look, man, we're just four games back. We can get on a roll. We've got Carl Anthony Towns." I don't believe in them this year. I flat out, I just I don't see that happening. So I'm I'm not putting them in the mix. The other team, though, the Lakers, two and a half back. Obviously, they've got LeBron James, and the question, you know, back in the lineup, and obviously the question is. How damaged is their psyche from all this? Like, that was an ugly game in Indiana, but the trade deadline is passed. Can can LeBron kind of rally these young guys now and say, "Hey, we can make the playoffs. Let's let's do this," or or is the idea that LeBron wanted them traded because it was his agent, you know, kind of orchestrating all this? Um, does that go too far? And by the way, just to add to this, they're right in the middle of a brutal part of the schedule. Like they're in their gauntlet part of the schedule. They were going to have struggle. They were going to struggle a little to win games anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, the distraction part, Whether if it's a distraction, they should be fine, right? The distraction is not over, but it'll subside enough uh, for yeah. the rest of the regular season. But if it's more than a distraction, if the, these other Lakers feel betrayed and unwanted, that doesn't go away simply because they didn't get traded. The fact that the Lakers probably didn't actually want them, that still stands, so I don't know if that'll matter. And 
they don't have much margin for error. LeBron James is at an age where it would not be surprising if he gets hurt again. Now, you can never predict injuries. That's always the trickiest thing to predict. LeBron's been especially healthy for most of his career. But if he misses even a few more games, that could make the difference. The margin for error is very low. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. Um, back to the yeah, back over to the top of the East now, because that that is a, I think that's the two fascinating races. This you get a back. How much does I think Gasol's a big boost uh, in a lot of ways? You know, over over Valanciunas essentially. It just he gives them a lot of versatility in Toronto. They can he, he can he can space the floor certainly better than Valanciunas can. Um, he's a big body who kind of gets in the way. His passing is going to fit great with him. I, I I like the fit even though Gasol isn't Gasol anymore. I'm concerned about this one. I really? I don't know. I mean, G- Gasol is obviously has had a great career. He's still a good player. Uh, somebody who I had an all-star consideration this year. But I'm just, I'm not sure about the fit, and I'm not sure how good he still is. I think he slipped a lot defensively. Now, he should still be good as a, a post defender where he's not asked to move his feet as much, and that's a lot of what this team could need. You can look at the matchup with Joel Embiid and say, wow, this is a huge upgrade for that specific matchup. And you know, maybe Gasol is just a, a super version of Alan Chunas, uh, where you can switch between him and Serge Ibaka at center, depending on matchups. Very different styles, can do a lot of different things. But I also think, you know, Gasol's probably got a bigger ego deserved than Valanchunas. Not everybody can do what Valanchunas has done, be willing to go, come off the bench, go back to starting, go back to coming off the bench. Uh, have a bigger role, have a smaller role, really have it fluctuate depending on the matchup. Not everybody can handle that. And it's a different thing to ask Mark Gasol, former All-Star, to do that. Uh, I think he's going to slow down the Raptors. Not, not like the Raptors were a tremendously fast, uh, fast-paced fast team, but they found opportunities to run. I, I think they'll lose some of those with Gasol. If his defense has slipped too much uh, overall, that could be a problem. So, I mean, I think this trade was worth it for the Raptors. They, they gave up Valanchunas, who, who was not as good as, as Gasol has paid too much money next year. They gave up C.J. Miles, who's also uh, paid too much money next year. DeLon Wright is heading into free agency. The Raptors might not have been willing to pay to keep him, not when they already have Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet at point guard. So I just don't think the cost was too tied for Toronto. It's worth the risk. Uh, but I think there is more risk here than meets the eye. Yeah. it's. By the way, were you surprised Memphis didn't trade Conley? No, because, because can you really be surprised by Memphis not making Exactly. I, this is the team with the least amount of vision in the NBA. Like They do not make hard choices. It would have been a hard choice to trade Conley, and they just, they, when, they, when it comes to a hard choice, they tend to just tense up and let it pass by. Exactly, and, and, and they were going to have to take a little for Conley. I know Utah's... Um, Utah wanted in on that, and Detroit actually, I think, was one. Of, who else? I think Detroit was in there, um, mm-hmm. but the price was too high for some of them, and that would have been like Utah could have used them. They kind of stand pat and uh, get through the season. It'll be interesting to see what kind of moves they, um, what what kind of moves they end up making. Uh, the other one that's you know the other the other one we haven't talked about. Nikola Mirotic is just like that. Just seems like plug and play in Milwaukee, does it? Like that. If, hey, that's exactly the kind of guy they need. Offensively, no question. Oh, yeah. He's, he's like a better version of Ursan Silver, the big free agent signing last summer, who hasn't quite worked out. He's still in the rotation and might stay in the rotation, but it has not worked out as well as hoped. Uh, Miritic is way better. Uh, he can, he yeah. can shoot the ball from the perimeter very efficiently, gets up a lot of threes, has a versatile shot. Uh, he is 
tailor-made for Mike Buttonholzer's system. He'll space the floor around Giannis like all the other Bucks do. It should be an awesome fit offensively. And, you know, Miritich is an underrated defender. He competes defensively. I, I think he'll be fine, and they'll figure out a, a way to use him, figure out when to play him and what combinations. Uh, but it's not the easiest fit. He's not the most versatile defender. Uh, when you play Giannis and Miritich together at forward, sure, it works offensively because Giannis will go inside, Miritich will, will spread the, the floor out at the three-point arc. Defensively, which of those guys is covering the the wing, the, the small forward rather than the power forward? Yeah. And a lot of times that will be a tough matchup. Yeah. Miritich isn't your best defender, but the Bucks do play well within their system. By the way, I... I you get now uh, out there in Detroit. You get to you get to be home to the Thon Maker experience, um, which actually I think Detroit could be a spot where at least he gets a chance to prove himself a little the rest of the season. Uh, Drummond better than than Thon Maker, obviously. Yes, uh, Zaza Pachulia has been solid for the Pistons off the bench at center. If the Pistons want to play better, and I don't know if they do or what they actually want, uh, then maybe you give Blake Griffin some more minutes at center sometimes. Uh, so I think Thon Maker's fairly far down the pecking order. He'll have to play a lot better to really make a, a difference. This is not a, a place where he's just going to get handed minutes unless they just want to hand him minutes. Yep. One of the sneaky underrated, we kind of mentioned them early, but one of the sneaky underrated really good teams in this, in this, in this, in the trade deadline run up was Dallas. Not only look, I get it. They make the, the gamble on Chris Tapp's Porzingis, I don't think that's a bad gamble to take. Um, if you, you know if you're rebuilding, if he can bounce back to unicorn status, that's a good one. But beyond that, when they move Barnes to uh, Sacramento, they clear out what is about thirty million in cap space this summer, right? Like they're players now to put guys around their young team, and suddenly they're really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I am not all in on their move for Porzingis. I think it's incredibly risky. I see the payoff, yeah, uh, but the the bad salary they took back the draft picks they gave up, including an unprotected one. I mean, it's very, very dangerous, but the way to make this work is with this Harrison Barnes trade, uh, because Porzingis will have a, a relatively low cap hold next summer. So will Maxi Kleber. Uh, so will Dorian Finney-Smith. That's something you can take advantage of if you're going to have cap room already. They weren't with Harrison Barnes on the book, but now once you've unloaded Barnes, uh, there's opportunity to add somebody, and then you can pay and go over the cap. Use your bird rights to re-sign Kristaps Porzingis. So, yeah, the Mavericks have to find a good free agent or two who wants to play with Kristaps Porzingis, Luka Doncic, two creative, versatile players. you think they can find anybody? Yeah, exactly. I don't think... I think there's going to be some players who look at that lineup... And, and by the way, look at a player-friendly organization in Dallas and think, yeah, this kind of could work for me. I, they've put themselves in a really good spot to be... You know, a threat. Look, they're not getting Russell Westbrook or something this well. Russell Westbrook's not available this summer. They're not getting Kawhi Leonard or something this summer, but they're going to be in the mix for that second and third tier of guys, and they could be much better, much more quickly than a lot of the teams kind of missing the uh, missing the draft lottery this year. Um, by the way, what it, we talked about this a little bit. The Knicks really made a, a gambit. Uh, I think we talked about this in another podcast. The Knicks make their gambit that man they got somebody lined up this somewhere they can get somebody because they've uh, you know they cleared out two max cap spaces and look I thought it was an impressive move for, beyond Porzingis getting off of the the bad salaries getting out of Courtney Lee and getting a couple picks back like I think they did pretty well in that deal um, and they've given themselves a chance it's just a question of does anybody want to play in New York. 
<laughs> Always, right? I mean, it's a great market. You just got to contend with James Dolan being the Knicks owner still. And yep. uh, I don't know if Kevin Durant wants to go to New York, but man, he's very defensive about something. Yes. That ought to give the Knicks hope that he, that he really does. And I think the Knicks already have plenty of hope that Durant's going to New York. And if he goes, then maybe uh, uh, Kyrie Irving follows and... The Knicks are going to have some ammo to, even if that happens, trade for Anthony Davis. This could be a super team overnight, and I don't expect them to form a super team like that that quickly. But the possibility of it uh, is what makes this Porzingis trade a swing worth taking. Yep. Well, is there any other trades like under the radar where you think, man, that, that kind of made a team better or was a really smart um, really smart play by them to, to set themselves up? Um, I, I think one interesting aspect that we have to talk about is with the Grizzlies of, you know, uh, is the Gasol trade from their perspective. Uh, is that enough? Is it worth it? And to stay under the the luxury tax line, they also had to make that trade. We did talk about the Clippers giving yep. up to Michael Green and Garrett Temple. So when you put that all together, do you think it was worth it for the Grizzlies? Yeah, only because I think Gasol had made it clear to them he was gone. You know, he had a he has a player option. I'm curious, by the way, if he'll pick that up in Toronto, which might have a lot to do with what Kawhi ends up doing. Um, but I, there was a certain. I mean, they didn't. It wasn't a great trade. They didn't get a ton back in that deal, but they weren't going to get anything. So I think this was one of those like, let's see what we can do. I think it was better. What they got back was better than the Charlotte offer, which you know gave them middle of the first round pick, but probably added about thirty million in, in cap to the you know like it, it brought a lot of salary back. This one helps them helps them shed some salary going forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the biggest move, and I it's not one I like. I know you asked me about one I like, but I feel like we've mostly talked about the ones I've really liked already. Uh, one I didn't like that I don't think is getting enough attention is the Rockets getting under the luxury tax line. Yeah. Was... They gave up a first-round pick, multiple second-rounders, second-round swaps. Uh, James Ennis, who could be a useful player uh, even in the playoffs, just to get under the luxury tax line. Last year, Daryl Morey was talking nonstop about obsessed with beating the Warriors, doing whatever it takes to beat the Warriors. And I'm not sure his mindset has changed as much as the Rockets' ownership has changed. Yep. And I think it was clear Tillman Fertitta did not want to pay the tax, even though he said uh, the the luxury tax wasn't affecting their offseason plan, wasn't changing what they're doing. I mean, that, was a, that was a lie. He lied about it, and it was very clear all along. I didn't think they'd go this far. I didn't think they'd go to make the effort to get all the way under the luxury tax line. Uh, but here they are. They're still a good team. They're still competitive. They still have an outside chance of beating Golden State. Uh, but their chances are lower because they used all their positive assets to get under the tax rather than to fortify their roster. And no, getting Amon Shumpert doesn't really change the equation for me. No, by the way, I like Shumpert with them, but it's it's not a, it's not it's certainly not a game changer for them. And I, I you're right here in in the sense that I wonder if it would be different if if they had like if the well, the Carmelo thing obviously didn't work out. Now and he's going to be a Laker now. I, actually, I don't I don't know that he's going to be a Laker. I just kind of want that to happen so I can watch Laker Nation freak out if, if that happens. Um, no, but that said, I wonder if, if like if the moves he'd made this summer had worked out, if they if they were looking much more like a threat to Golden State like they did last year, would he have made the same moves or did he kind of decide 
did Furtado decide, hey, this isn't going to work. Like, we're not good enough for me to pay the tax. And I'm not sure where that line is for him. Like, you know, where's the where's the I'm willing to pay the tax line for him? Or is there one? I, we well, don't know well, enough about him. I, I think that way of analyzing it is almost letting him off the hook too much because the moves this offseason didn't work because they cheaped out in yep, the offseason. They said, true. we're not going to pay Trevor Reza. We're not going to pay Luke and Bob Mute. We're going we're gonna to get the best minimum players we think we can get, which were James Ennis and Carmelo Anthony. And when you're stuck paying minimum players rather than somebody who could get $15 million a year, and whether more than, uh, rather than somebody who could get 4 million, whatever Bob Mute got, not like Bob Mute is doing anything, but when you're taking your swings in from the minimum pile rather than the highly paid pile, you're bound to lose. And Fertitta has said what his line is. Uh, he said he'll pay the luxury tax to make the NBA Finals, but not otherwise. He has said that. And, yeah. well, at least he's backing that up because this is not looking like an NBA Finals team. Uh, they have a chance, but that's definitely not what you would expect of this team. So he didn't want to pay the tax. Yeah. Yeah, no, I and I, I feel bad for Rockets fans because i got a feeling this is a thing going forward. So, um, And by the way, if... You got to wonder how this ultimately affects somebody like Daryl Morey, who can get a job pretty much anywhere he wants. There, there would be no shortage. Like, if he feels like this isn't working for him, will he start thinking about other jobs too? So, it, there's a lot of long-term dynamics with this that get interesting. Um, that that'd be especially interesting. I wouldn't blame him by any means. I mean, no. if he can get a better job, he should take it. He's earned that if he can get it. Uh, but it would be interesting if he built this Rockets championship uh, contention window, which is probably on the verge of closing, and gets out just as a long-term cost, namely Chris Paul's long-term contract are kicking in. Exactly. Um, one other trade of interest, and, and like it's not going to move the needle on wins, but Markel Fultz is now a member of the Orlando Magic. And honestly... First off, Dan, I've been we've been all oh, I think you and I and everybody been saying this from the he, the guy needed a fresh start, just needed to go somewhere, needed to go, and I think Orlando was one of the markets I kept mentioning, not because of the coaching staff or or anything like that, as much as it was, hey, this is a small market, out of the way, doesn't you know, not a good team with, with some young talent, but not a good team. There's just not going to be pressure on him. There, he's not walking in the door with the hey, you're the third member of our big three. Congratulations on being drafted first. This is a, you know, hey, we we can develop him, we can fit him in, we can make this work over time type of situation. We'll see what Fultz has in the tank. Like, I, 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 you know, I just don't know what to predict. I don't know how much of the injury was there, how much of this was in his head, how much of this would, you know, in the right market does he get back to looking like he did as a college player and, and when he was, frankly, a consensus number one. Kind of people try to poo-poo that. Now, no, it was, it was pretty much close to it. And I think this is as good a landing spot as he can find. I agree with that last part very much. It was as good of a landing spot as he can find. The Magic have a capable uh, starting point guard in DJ Augustine. They're not going to ask Markel Fultz to come in and yep. be the point guard right now. I don't even uh, think they're necessarily asking him to come in and play at all right now. They'll let him do that as he's ready. But there are backup minutes there for the taking. If Fultz is it all ready, uh, he can get those backup minutes. He can work his way up. He can develop. He can build confidence. And overtaking D.A.J. Augustine for that starting spot is not some tall task. No. It's all very manageable. But I just don't have that much confidence in this now. I mean, he, is, he has l looked so lost with everything going on. It seems to be such a deep 
problem that I do not think a change in environment is nearly enough to fix this. It could help. It could be a, a step in the right direction, getting to a smaller market, getting somewhat out of the spotlight. But he's still a former number one pick. He's still in the NBA. He's going to have to deal with pressure and expectations. There'll be less, but there'll still be plenty of it, far more than most of us face in our job. It's a very public job. His failings are very public. I don't think this is necessarily easy. Uh, this might be the best situation for him, but I'm convinced that there's anywhere that is a good situation for him. There's just so much to get through here. Yeah. By the way, I thought the Sixers did surprise. They did better in a haul on this trade than I expected. They get Jonathan Simmons, who, hey, by the way, provides some depth for a team desperately looking for depth, even though Simmons has, you know, certainly not excelled like they'd hoped. Eh, guy can play. They got a heavily protected, top 20 protected, but a first-round pick, which I kept hearing wasn't going to happen, and a second-rounder through via Cleveland, that's not a bad haul for, I mean, for what I think the market value was, even though this is a former number one pick. Yeah, I think the price is pretty fair. Um, you know, the, the 76ers get everything you said. No, Jonathan Simmons has been pretty lousy for the Magic this yeah. year. Maybe he'll be better in Philadelphia. He was good in San Antonio. He's not... Gets reunited with Brett Brown. Be over the hill. But, yeah, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be counting on much from him. To me, it's primarily about the picks. And yeah. those aren't great picks, but they're decent picks. And from the Magic's point of view, Fultz is still a high upside bet. The Magic are kind of stuck. You know, you want to be able to take some of those big swings when you can at a relatively low cost. If it doesn't work for Orlando, it doesn't work for Orlando. It doesn't really set the magic back. And uh, maybe the biggest factor for the 76ers is getting off Fultz's salary for next season. Uh, like you were talking about earlier, that roster is in line to get very expensive uh, once they re-sign Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler, assuming they re-sign yeah. both of them. And you can waive Jonathan Simmons, whose salary is partially guaranteed, and uh, instead of paying Fultz uh, a pretty big salary for a former number one pick. Exactly. Um I'm trying to think if there was any other major move. I mean, there was a lot of little trades. Some money shifted around. You got your, you know, your Reggie Bullock type deals that are nice, but don't necessarily move the needle. I think we covered all the things that really, really move the needle. It's, it's, it was a. Uh, you were right, man. It was a much busier, much crazier day than, and and few days than than I expected. I, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but I really don't think we can talk about it enough, is the top of this Eastern Conference. Oh, gosh, yeah. Not only are these teams so good, which I think we've talked plenty about, to me, what makes this even more interesting are the ramifications beyond this season. Oh, yeah. The Celtics are trying to keep Kyrie Irving. They're trying to line up a trade for Anthony Davis. Uh, the Bucks have five really good players, uh, Nikola Mirotic, Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, entering free agency. The 76ers have Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, entering free agency. Um, the Raptors have Kawhi Leonard heading into into free agency. Maybe Mark Gasol, he can opt out, maybe heading into free agency. As much as we hear reports about what these players are thinking, what they're going to do, there's so much time left, circumstances change, and there's nothing left that is going to swing those players' opinions of the, their current teams and have other players swing opinion of those teams and how those teams perform in the playoffs. Yeah. That is when they're on center stage. That's when you see what these teams are about, whether they're headed in the right direction, whether they're working well together. It's the ultimate test, and now the stakes are even higher because of all the dominoes here. You know, If Kyrie Irving leaves Boston uh, because they don't do well in the playoffs, 
that trickles down to, to Anthony Davis, trickles down to the Lakers, to the Knicks, to everybody. The dominoes are, are so huge here in these Eastern Conference playoffs. And of those teams, of the Raptors, Celtics, Bucks, and 76ers, at least two of them are going to lose yep. in the second round. Yeah, and I've, I've been saying this all day long to people. It's like the playoffs are in the East are going to be huge factors going into the spring because Kyrie's the easy one, but Jimmy Butler, if they get bounced in the second round, and the Knicks come calling, is he more likely to 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 make that kind of move as opposed to Philadelphia pushes through? I mean, you make the finals, you think you keep that thing together more. And I think Kawhi Leonard is, well, Kawhi Leonard's kind of an enigma. But, <laughs> you know, I'm not predicting a mime. I felt the same way about Kyrie Irving all day. It's like, yeah, if he makes the finals, it makes it more interesting. But I'm predicting Mr. Flat Earth's head. I'm not really comfortable with... <laughs> With, with trying to get in that space. That said, like, it's much harder. If, if the Raptors make the finals, it's much harder for Kawhi to walk away because that's what he was looking for, to lead a team that can go that deep. And honestly, just right now, I think it's too early to say any one of those four could come out of the West, East. Yeah, and you know what? One movie we haven't talked about and uh, is the Pacers getting Wesley Matthews. Yes. I don't think the Pacers are going to beat any of those four. Um and even when they had Victor Oladipo, I wasn't going to predict them to beat any of those four, though I certainly thought they are capable. Maybe, maybe if everything goes well with Wesley Matthews, the Pacers can get back to that lower end of capable of pulling an upset. And, you know, I, I don't expect the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs to have much drama. I think there are four teams than everybody else, and it's unfortunate that the Pacers have to be with everybody else because Victor Oladipo got hurt. Uh, and that's, but that's just where I think they're going to be. Uh, so maybe this won't shape up as real fun till the second round. But maybe, just maybe, somebody in that lower half in the East, and if it's anybody, I think it's the Pacers, can make this even more interesting. You, you know what makes the Pacers a tough playoff team? When you get to the playoffs, it, yes, your stars are your... You know, it's, it's, it's great to have LeBron James and Kevin Durant. Don't get me wrong. But you can scheme a little bit. If you've got... I mean, we talk about this with OKC all the time. Like, hey, I, or, or Portland. Like, I can take Lillard and, and, and McCollum and make life difficult. Then they've got to figure out, you know, who's the other guy. What makes Indiana tough is... They don't really have a bad player to roll out there. They they don't have huge weak links. Like every guy's pretty good. Every guy can do something. They don't roll out this like oh we got to attack here type of guy. And those kind of teams are just tougher outs in the playoffs. That's a great point. Um, on the flip side, and I, I think you are spot on. <laughs> uh, but I think what complicates it a little bit for a team like Indiana is they have no weak links. One through, I don't know now with their injuries, but let's just say nine, ten, whatever. But in the playoffs, if your rotation is seven or eight, the fact that your ninth guy isn't a weak link matters a little less. Yeah, it does. And they also just, you know, they still don't have Victor Oladipo. They still don't have that guy to go to at the end of the game. And that, that will matter. Like, it's still, you still need the guy who can get you some buckets. And maybe Wes Matthews works out, but they don't. I, I just don't see another Victor Oladipo on that. As, as much as Collison can make some plays and other guys make plays, it's none of them. None of them are Oladipo. I'll, I'll tell you, you know who believes that Wesley Matthews is going to make a big difference in Indiana. Wesley Matthews. Wesley Matthews. <laughs> I mean, don't you think every single team in the league would have had him at the top of their post buyout oh, list? Yeah. Gosh, a yes. three and D veteran uh, who who would just fit in so well everywhere. He's just a seamless fit. He went to the Pacers, who are probably going to lose in the first round the Pacers who could offer only a minimum salary he had to see something there and maybe maybe he will be as big a difference maker as he thinks maybe it's going to be interesting I 
it's going to be an interesting rest of the season, an interesting buyout market coming up. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're, um, you know, since you're out there in Detroit, maybe they can pick up Carmelo. Yeah, bring him back. <laughs> That'd be, there's a good show for you. All right. Dan, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, everybody can find your work at NBCSports.com. And of course, you're on Twitter at Dan Feldman NBA. And plus, you're all over, like, like thank you for slumming with my podcast, you know, for a day. Mr. Big Time. Um, Always my favorite podcast. <laughs> you have to say that because I'm your boss. Thank you, though. Uh, well, that's what makes it my favorite, of course. <laughs> I'll talk it wasn't you, a lie. I, I'll talk to you. I'll actually see you in Charlotte, and we'll. Uh, I, I, I hear there are places there that serve beer, so we'll, we'll have to find one. I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. Take care. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with more Pro Basketball Talk podcast here on NBC Sports.